0: At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17.
1: You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, I just told you to shut up because we were talking about something that I actually think is interesting. And I wanted us to have a discussion on the podcast. You'll see, Frank tweeted out earlier tonight that we're going to take questions. We'll get to your questions, but first, um, it was it was a conversation I had had earlier in the night with some people, and now I kind of brought it up to you, and we were trying to figure out why is it that there's been seemingly a lot of action thus far. I don't I don't know what the average number of trades are 24 hours before the deadline or anything. But there does seem to be a lot of activity. And I guess, what are, do you have any theories for why there has seemingly been quite a bit of activity thus far?
1: No, I mean, we, we were discussing, you know, could some of it be related to the new CBA and changes in that? Um, I think, you know, you mentioned obviously last summer there was tons of cap space and – Teams maybe made moves that now they're not feeling so great about. So now teams are kind of trying to get um, out from under deals. Certainly, the Bucks were one of those teams. Um, you know, maybe some teams looking to make cap space. You know, previously last summer, you know, nobody really had to worry about creating cap space so much because ninety percent of the league had it. Whereas this summer, they're going to be far fewer teams. You know, so the kind of things like that. But you know, I think the most interesting thing to me about all these deals is that you know normally it's kind of a it's a matchmaking thing. Like, bad teams trade with good teams. Um, but this year, there's so much sort of parity between... Well, I don't know if parity is the right word, but there's, there's so little difference between, you know, the fifth team in the lottery standings versus the seventh and eighth seeds uh, in each conference that you would think maybe that would mean more teams kind of thinking that they might be in it. Um, but obviously, we're seeing, uh, you know, Trades happen for for different reasons, you know. Sacramento, um, perhaps maybe a little bit CBA driven. They they could have given Demarcus Cousins the designated player exception, um, and they kind of decided, you know, we don't want to pay him two hundred plus million, so we're just going to trade him now for maybe less than people thought. So it's it's interesting. I think the most interesting thing is that in a in in a league that is as superstar driven as ever, we've seen Demarcus Cousins traded, and we've seen Jimmy Butler and Paul George be. You know, pushed into uh, into trade sort of rumor mill. I'll say maybe not serious trade talks, but certainly into the trade rumor mill. You know, we've seen Andre Drummond, who's maybe not a superstar in the traditional sense, but you know, an, an all-star, young all-star caliber player. We've seen a lot of names that I think in previous years you'd say, oh well, you know, you would take way way too much to to consider trading those guys. And now we're hearing about them being you know thrown around as as possibly being on the move. So it's it's sort of an interesting an interesting time in the nba i think in terms of trade and you know we, we all say about how valuable superstars are and i don't know maybe maybe superstars aren't as valuable <laughs> as we normally talk about or at least the market at least the market maybe doesn't reflect that
0: yeah i don't know i don't know it, it, i think it part of it is comprehending what new numbers are and what new numbers mean kind of if that makes sense like last year or last offseason you could kind of just you know what, whatever. Caps going up. We can throw money at these guys and everything's be okay. And part of me almost thinks that this year is a bit of a course correction where everyone's kind of figuring out like, oh, all of that money (laughs) that that wasn't a good idea to to give up all that money. And sure, we had money to spend there, but maybe that wasn't the best idea when we had I don't know Otto Porter up for a, a supermax, whatever he he may be up for or Whoever it may be, um, so so I think part of it is kind of comprehending what those new realities are in this cap and uh, or in the CBA and figuring out what that's going to look like coming against your cap and kind of how you try to build a team in that new environment. So um, I think that's part of it, and I don't know. It's I, I, I think there's some randomness to this as well. Like some years, it might just be that there there's more activity as well. So um, I don't know if I have any good. Real answers to that, but I do know that we have a ton more questions and we should get into them. Frank, lead us forward.
1: Well, but before I get into that, I, I have to issue another correction, and I was I was alerted to this by um, an anonymous uh, source uh, with the team that uh, I, I made a comment about Malcolm Brogdon going scoreless in the uh, Rising Stars game, and I'll admit I watched like half of that game and I didn't see him score, and then I. I looked on my phone and I could have sworn I saw in the box score that he was like 0 for 3 or something. I was alerted today that Malcolm Brogdon did, in fact, score, I think, 3 points in that game.
0: You know what, Frank? I'm going to have to make a bed and some music and maybe some sound effects for Frank's correction of the day. Because it just seems like now every day we do a podcast, you're just out here lying to people.
1: I know. I know. It's... it's. Uh... I was going to make an alternative fact joke, but I really shouldn't. Um, But, uh, yeah, so Malcolm Brogdon. And ironically, I was told that I missed a dunk by him, and I was saying before the game that Malcolm Brogdon would get some sneaky dunks, and apparently they were so sneaky that I wasn't even aware of them. So uh, shout-out to Malcolm Brogdon not going scoreless in the Rising Stars game. And now on to our regular scheduled program. Uh, Not surprising, we have a bunch of questions sort of specific to the trade deadline. Um, Brock Sobieski asks, are you sick of trade deadline talk yet? When can we finally have a game to watch? Brock, the answer is Friday. Uh, The other answer is, uh, I'm kind of sick of trade deadline talk. Um, But I don't know. Whatever. We're about to record a whole podcast about it. So, apparently not sick enough.
0: Correct. I was going to say, I'm used to needing to talk about it. I just, I prefer talking about things that are based in reality. Like, a Damian Lillard trade. Not based in reality. Like it's not been reported by a reporter. There's no sources. There's there's not a report from a verified reporter. It's just some made up thing on Twitter. And then Frank Isola decided to say The wildest rumor I've heard. Not I'm reporting this rumor. The wildest rumor I've heard is this, and that's the extent of it. Like I don't want to talk about that. That's not a real rumor. And that's just not a real thing. Let's talk. If you want to talk about any of the stuff that Zach Lowe wrote about, I'm more than willing to. Um, If there's other things that have been sourced, like we talked about last night, Windhorst talking about Rubio and Deli, like let's talk about that. But made up stuff, fantasy stuff, not into it.
1: Yeah. And and, oh, I should note I forgot to mention last night, Brian Windhorst has a history of being the Deli whisperer, right? Remember, He he was the first person to talk about you know, mid last season or something about the Bucks being interested in Delhi, so um so he has an ear to the ground uh of Matthew Delvadova's camp. Um Nate T asks on a scale from one to ten, how likely is it that the Bucks will make a move before the deadline? I guess technically we can say it's a ten because they already did make a move before the deadline, but that is not the uh, <laughs> intent of that question. Uh I, I don't know. What, what, what number would you would you have? I mean, we've had sort of these like random, you know, these like the Rubio sort of connections and yeah. the non-Lillard stuff. And, um, you know, presumably guys are, you know, like the John Ensons and apparently Della Vadova's and, uh, you know, Greg Monroe, if somebody really wanted him. I mean, there are lots of guys available, but what do you actually think, you know, is the likelihood that we see a deal?
0: Um, I'm going to put it at like a seven um, just because – there's still, I think, four teams that have to get to the floor, and oh, uh,
1: you're gonna take, you're gonna play me on. Okay, I, I see. I what you're I mean, you. technically, ahead. Ahead. like Roy yeah. Hibbert
0: is technically on the roster. I, I assume someone will make a move for Roy Hibbert, and the Bucks might get a second rounder, top fifty-five protected or <clears> top fifty-nine <throat> protected, something ridiculous of that nature. Um, so that's a move that seems likely to me that they'll make. Um, as far as real moves, eh, maybe a three. Um, as far as likeliness, I, I'm going to a 10 being the most likely, um, if you couldn't infer that from the first answer. So I would say like a three. Um, I don't know if there's a, a larger move out there for the Bucks.
1: Yeah, I was going to say maybe a two or three um, as far as real moves go, which I, I'm kind of torn on it. I, first, when I saw that, I was thinking like four just because... You know, again, uh, there are a number of guys the Bucks could probably move um, in sort of just a s- dump, salary dump type perspective. But,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't know how motivated they'd be to, to just dump, you know, a John Henson, especially with uh, as much as, you know, as many centers as they might have on the roster right now. You know, Roy Hibbert probably will be gone by the end of the week. Um, Greg Monroe can opt out. You know, we don't know what happens at that point. Uh, so, you know, again, Henson could kind of be like the perspective, oh, let's keep them, you know, and, and see what happens, and, um, you know, by July, maybe Thon and, and Henson are your kind of two centers that you've got on the roster, and you figure out what, what to do from there. So, uh, so yeah, I'd say probably not super high. Um, and for Hibbert, I mean, just so I think we've talked about this before, but, um, you know, the trick with the Hibbert thing is you do have a number of teams. I mean, like the Sixers, I think, are over $7 million under the cap right now. Or, sorry, $7, 7 million under the salary cap floor. And so, basically, if if they don't get up to that floor by the end of the season, then they basically have to write a check for that amount, and you know it goes back into the pot. And, you know, players get it basically. Uh, but uh, if they can get their uh, salary up to that amount by the end of the season, and they don't have to have these guys on the roster, that's kind of where the trick is. So if they acquire Roy Hibbert and just basically you know buy him out right away for slightly less than the five million you know number that he's got and, Granted, keep in mind they don't have to pay the full because he's already been playing, you know, two thirds of the season. So effectively, they can cut into the amount that they'd owe, um, you know, on the salary floor differential uh, by having a guy and not paying that full amount to him anyway because you only have him for part of the season. So it's it's a little bit of a you know kind of loophole in the way that the uh, league administers the salary cap floor and all that stuff. So that's why we think there's a high likelihood of, of Roy Hibbert getting traded, even though. You know, he has no value to to necessarily anyone at this point.
0: Do you think that NBA PA likes that or dislikes it? Because part of me wonders, like, if I'm one of the 14 dudes on the roster and I could be getting X amount more this year and I know my team's just going to buy out this dude and use that loophole to get that money, like, I'd be pissed. Like, that, I mean, it's not a ton of money, but... That's the money that you could have uh, if this loophole didn't exist. But I'd assume maybe the NBAPA fights for that to keep it that way. I don't. I don't know. It, it's fascinating to me that that loophole exists and hasn't been taken care of.
1: Yeah, I mean, keep in mind. I mean, the the, the players are guaranteed to an overall percentage of revenues, kind of regardless of this stuff. So, um, you know, in the grant, and this is why a little bit like the you know, back. Remember when. Uh, the whole idea of cap smoothing was a thing, mm-hmm. um, and, and all this, and it's all—it's all a little bit semantic because you know the players, the players get you know between forty-nine and fifty-one percent. I think like, I don't think that that changed. I think it's all the same in the new deal and the old deal um, of the cap, and it's basically been trending towards the higher end just because of where revenues have gone. Um, but like, it's—it's it's not like if 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 owners all went out and all you know spent only up to the salary cap you know that you would have a, a shortfall of amount but you know again it's not like players get screwed because owners just decided not to spend money and so it's kind of like a little bit like that i mean that's that's mm-hmm. my gotcha. you know, quick quick rationale that i would say um and, and i'm pretty sure that's that's correct so anyway I, that's probably why it hasn't been a big um a big thing uh, i don't believe it's covered in the uh in the new CBA in terms of any changes, but it is a bit of a gimmick thing. I mean, the upside is if, if this type of thing leads to players becoming free agents, um, you know, again, I know players presumably don't want to be <laughs> released or whatever, but, um, but obviously, you know, hey, there's some advantages if you uh, do get released. You get paid and you can go do whatever you want to do the rest of the year you can go yeah. find a new team where you want to play and and you know have some flexibility so i don't know that's probably why it hasn't been a big big talking point but anyway let's um let's flip to another question um and i'll just get these out of the way uh because um we, you already mentioned it but uh, uh clint friedenberg asked Question one, what will Eric do if Dame is a Buck tomorrow at 2 p.m.? Record a rap album like Dame?
0: Um, I don't know <laughs> what, if I... What,
1: what will you promise to do to show your confidence that Damian Lillard is not going to be a Milwaukee Buck on Thursday? Mm, I
0: could I could record it like a... What, what, what does Lillard do? Like Four Bar Friday or something like that? I could record something like that. I, I'm confident enough that it's not going to happen that I could whatever it is that Damian Lillard does rapping wise, like I think it's four bar Friday. I'll, I'll do a four bar Friday if he's on the bucks.
1: I think the interesting thing, um, is it's probably like the boogie, the boogie deal just sort of has like made everybody more, um, more bold in sort of their willingness to believe that, you know, (laughs) super one-sided trades of superstars are going to happen. Um, and you know, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, Let's see. Ray Weishan asks if it were to happen, what would a Lillard trade look like? And I guess we'd say, well, it doesn't really make any sense to happen with the Bucks. I mean, like what, like the idea of you know an injured Jabari Parker and a first-round pick or something being traded? I mean, it's got to be more than that, doesn't it? Yeah, you'd have you'd have to add in a bunch of salary. So I mean, throwing like Monroe or or something like that. Um, I mean, and and on top of that, I don't. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, Neil O'Shea does some weird stuff, but uh, again. I'd love to know the last time you know a guy was was a centerpiece of a massive trade while he was out with a potentially crippling you know knee injury. Um, <laughs> guessing that hasn't happened very often, uh, so I, I don't know. Also,
0: I have to say the thing I love most about these Lillard rumors is the most rumor thing anyone has heard about Lillard is I think it's Sam Amico. Not Sam Amick, Sam Amico. Amico? Amico, sure. Um, Tweeted out, people have called the Blazers on Damian Lillard and the Blazers have rebuffed them. That's literally the only journalist, reporter, anything that's tweeted anything with a report of Damian Lillard is people are calling about Damian Lillard, but the Blazers are saying no. And now all of a sudden... we're talking about this like it's a real thing that could happen. Like, I just, I just kept myself from cursing, but I was just going to let a W two T F out there because, come on, guys.
1: All right, I think we've talked enough about Damien Lillard. Um, is it possible? This is from Alex Alex Dums. Is it possible a GM would still be intrigued enough to trade expirings for Henson despite his extended run of failed starting opportunities?
0: Yes. Um I I think we're going to see the the return of expirings not I I, th- I think we're going to start to see the the return of expirings not to the same insane extent that it was before what the 2010 CBA um it's not going to be that in- insane but I, I think people will start seeing some value in in expirings and gain something out of it and um, with Henson, uh, I, I do think the the Bucks are getting closer and closer to that moment where it's just not worth it to spend that money on someone who's, a I I mean, a backup. He, he's not a starter. He's not going to be your starting center. He's a backup center and is spending, I, I, it's de-escalating, so 10-ish for him. Does that make any sense? Probably not. Uh, I I think you could get a cheaper backup center, and maybe you could spend that money a little bit more wisely on the wing. Maybe that gives you a better chance to retain Snell and Beasley if that's something they're interested in. I, I do think there there's a GM out there that would take or that would trade expirings for John Henson.
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I'm I'm I think you could probably give away John Henson. Um, you know, and then it's just a question of like, okay, well, you know, do you, how much do you want to just Give away John Henson. Can you at least get a first out of it,
0: or is it a second? Yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think about teams that needed a center, and you know, we've talked about this. How there's just so many teams that have overspent on centers, and they're just not in that high high demand. Uh, And that's kind of the fundamental problem trying to make a deal for either Monroe or um, Henson. You know, I think Charlotte was a team I often thought of making sense for Monroe, given you know, what they have done previously with, with Al Jefferson and being able to hide him defensively and the fact that, you know, the Hornets are, are not a great offensive team and they're, you know, very dependent on, on Kemba Walker. Maybe, you know, Greg Monroe brings a nice dimension to them. Um, but then they make a trade with the Bucks for Miles Plumlee and you're, like, thinking, okay, well, I'm guessing there's there's not going to be another trade of a Bucs center with this team, although Miles Plumlee's now hurt. So the, the curse of former Bucs uh, continues. Uh, you know, I was thinking about, like maybe Atlanta is like one of the few teams that I could see having the requisite ambition to, you know, they're good enough that they might actually want to get a little bit better. Their offense has not been particularly good. Their defense has been very good. Uh, and they're, I mean, as the bucks, as bucks can attest, they're, they're really thin at center. They've got Dwight. And that's basically it. Um, (laughs) you know, they've got Mike Muscala uh, and Chris Humphreys. And those guys are, I don't know, more, I'd say, power forward-ish type guys. So, uh, again, it's kind of hard because Dwight is, you know, going to get, obviously, a good chunk of minutes. So, you know, and, and you're not going to play him and, and Moose together. But um, but I don't know. I mean, like, maybe you could do something. Or maybe Henson would be of some vague interest there. But, you know, again, what are you getting back? Um, Atlanta does have, I think, the first projected pick in the second round. And they have the twentieth overall projected pick in the first round right now. Um, so you know, do do the Hawks have enough interest in in any of the Bucks' big men to to you know be able to pry either of those picks away? Well, maybe that maybe that uh, it's former Brooklyn pick. May, maybe that uh, that first pick in the second round, um, which would actually be you know a, a nice, pretty valuable pick. But um, but I don't know. We haven't really heard any any rumblings of anything like that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. It. It's going to be an interesting spot with the Bucks centers um, And I guess I'm also fascinated by if they do make that move, are they comfortable with Thon and Spencer Hawes going into next season? Um, if they wouldn't trade Monroe and instead would trade Henson and Monroe opts out, then it's just those two going into the next season. I'd I'd be cool with it because it forces Jason kid's hand to play a, another shooter on the floor at all times. Cause you're only two fives can shoot threes. Um, so to me that's exciting. Uh, but I, I don't know if as an organization you'd, te- you necessarily be all that comfortable, um, doing that. So, um, it, it'll yeah, be well, and,
1: and, and I mean, the upside is if you, if you, uh, you know, if you're, if you lose Monroe and Henson, then you're going to have, you know, money. A, yeah. a fair bit of money Correct. this summer to play with. Right. So, um, so it's, you know, again, you'd have some flexibility to do some stuff. And as we said, there are lots of big men floating around that teams probably would will be willing to give up for for not a whole lot. So, yep. um, Kyle Carr asks, which team uh, are the Bucks most likely to make a trade with? Um,
0: I have no idea. I'm not I even no trying idea. to guess,
1: Kyle. We we're just going to fail you. I mentioned the Hawks being the only team I can think of that really <laughs> needs a center that is you know reasonably decent. Um, that had to the late first round ish area. Um, you know, Portland's kind of fallen on that list with the Nurkic trade. Uh, Charlotte has obviously made a move already for a big man. Um, New Orleans has obviously made a move for a big man. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just not a lot of not a lot of options.
0: You, you know, know what? The team, I'm I'm going to cheat again. I'm going to use the Hibbert trade. Uh, the teams below the salary cap floor: Minnesota, Phoenix, Utah, Brooklyn, Denver, Philly. So one of those six teams, but again, that's just the Hibbert trade. I I don't have any actual um, idea for a, a likely team for a real trade or a non-Hibbert trade. Let's say
1: Utah has the twenty-third and thirtieth picks in drafting. For Unfortunately I don't think, <laughs> I don't think helping a team get to the salary floor uh, is necessarily going to be worth even the thirtieth pick in the first round because um, it does save the Bucks money too to get rid of Hibbert here before the end of the season. So that might be a, a little bit ambitious. Um, but uh, anyway, we will we will certainly uh, pay attention to that. So uh, moving along, Adrian Johnson asks if Monroe is going to opt out. Shouldn't the Bucks trade him to get something for him?
0: Um, I, th-
1: I, I I think that's a very fair question, right? I think that's probably what a lot of people are wondering, right? And I'm sure the Bucks have asked themselves that question as well. Yeah,
0: I, I think the, the tough part is is, and that much expiring is attractive to the Bucks. Like that's a good thing to get that money off their books. And I guess you kind of have to think that if another team is taking this money on, you have to take the same money back in a trade. Um, So is that money moving forward? Is that a three-year deal? Is it a four-year deal? And maybe it's a a deal someone else wants to get out of, and you think this is a good value add. So we're going to use some of the money that we could have created by letting Monroe go this off season. Um, So (sighs) <sighs> it's a it's a tough spot because it, I don't know what that you're going to get picks for him if you could I think that'd be great um, but I would think most of the times it would be players that a team would want to trade to get Greg Monroe and I, I don't know if the Bucks would be in a hurry to do that
1: yeah I mean the, the the I mean you can ask it from the opposite side as well right so Monroe can leave this summer so why don't the Bucks try to get something for him okay well if Monroe can leave. Whichever team he's on this summer, then why is anybody going to give up a lot of value for him, right? Yeah. That that's kind of one of the fundamental problems uh, of anybody who can opt out of his deal. And um, on the flip side, you know, some teams might look at his big player option and say, "Well, I don't, I don't. Maybe you don't want the risk of him opting into that deal, right?" Um, so his contract structure, I think, just kind of makes things more complicated. Um, shout out to our friend Steve On Horn. Who who recorded many raps for this very for our, our former uh, podcast uh, at BrewHoop. Hoop. Uh, so I think if if that Dame Lillard thing happens, you would just have to enlist Steve to rap for you. But
0: <laughs> I would um, let him go through it. I would stick to my word, <laughs> and, and I would do the
1: rapping. Okay, okay. So, but Steve did mention, um, you know, when the, that deal was signed a couple of years ago, that that opt out makes makes things interesting very quickly, right? Because he's going to have that hanging over his head, basically, right from day one, basically, that he can leave after the second year. But uh, obviously, it's it's been a weird. Time his tenure in Milwaukee, and we mentioned the other night. You know, we we still haven't gotten a real strong indication of whether you know how open would he be to 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 staying if if he did opt out, or how open would he be to not opting out and just sticking around. So it's um it's definitely an interesting situation to to monitor. I think Gary Wolf had a, had a, a cut some quotes from from David Falk, his agent, who you know shocking didn't expect him to be traded which you know answer from an agent about a player um and and that's but um i think that's obviously the big question going into the summer assuming Greg gregman was on the team uh what is, does he do in terms of taking that player option um moving on uh asks is kid capable of coaching the bucks to an nba title or will it be someone else this is a question that I'm I'm sure much of Bucks Twitter has a very strong opinion on.
0: Um, uh, those are two different questions. Is kid <laughs> Is kid capable of coaching the Bucks to an NBA title? Yes, I I think. I mean, I, you can think back to Doc Rivers, who is more of a player coach, maybe not quite the tactician of other guys, and someone who Brett Cormenis earlier this summer, um, or the over this offseason compared kid to i think he could win a doc rivers title that would require the bucks to have quite a bit of talent um so i think he's capable of coaching the bucks to an nba title if you're asking me if he would win an nba title with this bucks roster i would say no does that make sense
1: i don't know if popovich could win an nba title with you know the bucks roster slash whatever however it evolves right and there's just there's so many variables um I would say certainly Jason Kidd, the coach that we've seen so far, I don't foresee him ever winning a championship as a coach. Um, you know, again, I, I just, and again, maybe, maybe he sort of figures some things out. Um, I would say the the fact that the Bucks have been kind of, you know, backwards as far as embracing three-point shooting and only kind of starting to figure that out this year is probably not an endorsement of <laughs> Jason Kidd's, uh, you know, uh visionary nature as a as a coach in the modern NBA yeah. um, obviously we've talked about the defensive questions um, you know again if he's just going to kind of try to do the same thing over and over again and even when it's not working then it, to see that type of coach you know figuring it out um, i think the you know point you make about uh, you know the, the players coach who who figures out like a doc rivers type guy that would probably be the only the only type of example I guess I can think of off the top of my head um, and but I don't know right I mean it was funny listening to uh, Bill Simmons uh, interviewing our, our friend of the podcast Ben Thompson <laughs> and, uh, Ben of course was on with us talking about the book, but Ben was on with Bill because he's an awesome tech writer and uh, um, it's a great podcast you should check it out but Ben did get some NBA uh, some talk in there got some Bucks Sixers conspiracy theory from 2001 in there um, and they also talked a little bit about, uh, you know, when people are aware of your writing. And, and Bill was talking about when he was calling for Doc Rivers to be fired. And, you know, after that, Doc Rivers wins a title in Boston. So I guess maybe, that, maybe there's some, some scenario where Jason Kidd sort of figures it out as sort of motivating a group of, uh, you know, players or something like that. But it, it's very hard for me to see Jason Kidd um, as a. Uh, championship winning coach with with what we've seen this year um i mean you know a week ago we were wondering or two weeks ago we were wondering if this team had quit on him entirely Mm -hmm. um so i i I don't know i mean i'm i'm more curious to see if jason kidd will be the bucks head coach next next fall
0: uh (laughs) same
1: more than anything else so um next question um Clint again asks, uh, what should the Bucks look to accomplish in the last 27 games? I mean, we've kind of alluded to this. Um, I'll, I'll give my, my – since I've been letting you go first, I'll just give my quick uh, reiteration of, of what I'm looking for. I, I just want Giannis, Thawne, and Middleton to play well, to stay healthy. And – that's that's pretty much what I want to see happen and, you know, again, I think you want to see indications that those guys can work together and be successful together um, You know, I, I don't know what to expect from this team in terms of uh, you know, defense winning games, we've obviously seen a really r- rough period over the past you know, six to eight weeks and in particular, um, you know before this, this three game winning streak, obviously they were struggling a lot, so you know, again, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if the, if the three-game win streak is, is really something or if it's kind of fool's gold. Um, I think that's what I'm really curious to see sort of over the next week coming back from the All-Star game. Uh, are guys going to be kind of charged up and ready to go for the second half or, you know, do we kind of backslide into what we saw, um, you know, over the over the difficult stretch of games where they, you know, were winning one out of 12 or 13 games or whatever it was. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think we've talked about the guys who matter, we want to see them play well. And then, you know, in a lot, in a lot of ways, we just want to see the bucks kind of figure out what the heck they have with the rest of this roster. So they know a little bit more going into the summer.
0: I want LeBron that, that, that's pretty much it. I I want LeBron. Um, I I would like the bucks to make the playoffs. I think that should be their goal. I know uh, tonight after practice, that was pretty much what all of them reiterated that, the playoffs are the goal and they want to get there and I want a Cavs playoff series. Um, I think that would be the best for those guys going forward. Um, I think as, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, Giannis is a a lunatic when it comes to losing. He takes it really hard. Um, So tanking, not something I'm all that interested in. They should be trying to win games and hopefully they win enough games. And I think in a way it's, it runs parallel to what you're saying that I mean they're not going to win games if Giannis and Middleton aren't playing well and to a lesser extent if Thon isn't playing well so um, get into the playoffs get LeBron and get at least four games against the Cavs and maybe <laughs> almost likely you'll, you'll probably only get four games against the Cavs but man uh, a, a, a playoff win over the Cavs that's that's a pretty cool seat I, I mean that's a pretty cool way to end your season that that's a, a good thing and and something i definitely want to see and, and like i've said a bunch of you're, talk,
1: you're talking about literally one win
0: correct okay. one win just um, just making it five games and like i've said on this podcast um before is i, I think going to the playoffs and seeing Giannis get Get the experience of being the man in the playoffs is much different than what he he got two years ago when they went to the playoffs, because then he was just kind of a bit player, he wasn't the man, but seeing a team prepare for you four games in a row, that's what's going to let you know what your actual weaknesses are, that's going to let you know what you need to work on in the summer, that's going to let you know um, kind of how you can get better as a player, and uh, there's no better test in the world than playing a motivated LeBron and a motivated Kyrie and the Bucks have done a good enough job pissing them off uh, earlier in the year that uh, at least for a couple of those games they're going to be somewhat motivated so um, I think that's the best outcome for the season and I think that's what they should be looking to accomplish
1: yeah and I would be very happy for Giannis in particular to, to get to the playoffs so I am 100% I guess for me I'm just not I'm just not getting my hopes up on that, uh, just from what we've seen from this team. Um, <laughs> yeah,
0: nor I, should you. Nor should Yeah,
1: you. I mean, I guess if the question, obviously, is is what should what you hope they accomplish, then I think that's a fair thing to say to get the playoffs. Although, I, I actually, I'm sort of the opposite. I mean, I would, you know, I don't know what they're, I don't know what you would say the odds are of them beating the Cavs in a playoff series, you know, f- five, four percent, you know. Sure. Like something very, very low. Um, versus you know what are the odds they could be like the Celtics maybe like i don't know 15 20% i don't know something something higher
0: yeah i am a little bit i'm a little bit more open to going to the 7 spot now that the Celtics are there instead of the raptors cuz good god i do not want to see the bucks play the raptors cuz they play that team terribly um yeah. so sure if that means get to the 7 win when the first playoff series and get get the Get the Cavs in the second? No, I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I would. I I am always hopeful of of playing the easier team. Um, so as as much as I think it would be cool from a narrative standpoint to get the Cavs, and it's also I think more realistic to get the Cavs. Um, I I would be more than happy to see the Bucks make the playoffs and not have to play the Cleveland Cavaliers. But anyway, let's uh let's move on to the next question. Um, Wes H. Asked, Yes. Important question. Favorite player on the 2000, 2001 Bucks, non-big three? Caffey, Ham, Pope, Johnson, Tim Thomas, Prisbilla, Scott Williams. Who you got, Eric?
0: I got two headbands on my head right now. Tim wow. Thomas.
1: Wow. That, that I can tell you were really young.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I was. That
1: time that, that Tim Thomas was your guy. Um, I mean, at the time... I guess like Tim Thomas was the guy that I probably was like, was most into just because he was the most talented guy and he had like potential and you know I mean there's a reason the Bucks got rid of Glenn Robinson and we all like were like oh maybe Tim Thomas can can fill his shoes <laughs> um, I would say in hindsight I got to go with Scotty Williams just because he's the most likable guy yeah. um, random story my my dad actually was a was a home builder he was in the army for 25 years and he was a home builder. In Wisconsin, that's why he moved to Wisconsin. So he built houses for people, and he built Danny Manning's house, and then Danny Manning's house got sold. to Scott Williams, and then that house got sold to uh, Anthony Mason because I guess it had tall ceilings or something. And <laughs> uh, Scott Williams, though, did own a house that my dad built, and um, I think he knew he he met uh, Scott like once or twice or something like that because you know had some question of the house or something. And Scott Williams was apparently always very nice, um, and which isn't surprising. Scott Williams seems like a really nice guy. So I'm going to go in hindsight with Scotty Williams, heart and soul uh, of that 2001 team. And, uh, you know, uh, his suspension, obviously, at the end of that series was uh, a non-trivial factor in, in the Bucks losing, and, of course, part of the great conspiracy to keep the Bucks out of that finals. <laughs> um, Brennan Olin asks, Assuming the defense continues to struggle, does the defensive steam stick around for next year?
0: No. Um, I, I, I think we're to the point where Ownership is not happy With the defensive scheme anymore Which which makes sense And um, when you see the team Lose the exact same way uh, Defensively two years in a row Well, yeah So I, I think if there, there Are not changes or not An openness to changes for the defensive Scheme next year, uh, I think the question you asked Before is, it's very apt Is Jason Kidd back? Um, I I think they have to make changes to the defensive scheme or there's, I I think there'd be a good chance that kid doesn't return.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you know, uh, if, if it falls on its face two years in a row, then you have to obviously, you know, and, and if it seems, I think, I think the big thing too, I mean, if it just doesn't seem like the players necessarily,
0: (laughs) there's no level of belief.
1: Right. Um, and, and so it sort of becomes a a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Right. because, Again, I mean, if you have... Uh, I think if you have players buying into a system, um, you know, you're not... I don't think what the Bucks do would be, like, doomed to being, like, the worst defense ever. If I mean, again, like, there there's there are enough defenses out there that do many of the similar things, um, but the Bucks just seem to, like, be kind of the worst, the, <laughs> the worst of all combinations right now. Um... And they're being exploited, and you know, again, it doesn't mean that you know you could just sit back and say, "Well, the players should try harder." Um, you know, bottom line is, if you're a coach, uh, it, it's not just your you know your job to think of a scheme that makes the most of your players. It's also your job to make them actually execute it. And um, you know, again, I think that we look around the NBA, there are there are many different ways to to get a team to play pretty good defense, and and um, you know, as much as sort of. Low help schemes have maybe become more popular. Um, there are still teams that are successful by helping a lot, and mm-hmm. um, and you know, again, it, there may be some some different things the Bucks do that they could they could you know not necessarily even overhaul, but just like tweak. You know, I mean, the degree to which you help off um, things like that, right? And yeah. I think they're they're you know, again, there are ways you can sort of change things without completely. Um, blowing up sort of some of your principles. Um, yeah, I mean, if you I want
0: your identity to be a, a very heavy helping and very aggressive defense, like, it can still be there, but there are some things that would need to be changed.
1: Right. Okay. Um, when Middleton is back in the starting lineup, will it be in place of Jabari while keeping Snell at the two? This was from Lalo Cura. Uh, um and I guess, well, yeah, it'll be in place of Dubari for, you know, the next year. Um, but I guess, I guess the, the more fundamental question I think is interesting is, uh, what do you think, you know, in, in a couple weeks from now, uh, we, heard, we heard a comment about Chris Middleton still expecting to have the same minutes restriction, even though he, I think, played well over that minutes <laughs> restriction in the last game. Um, but if Chris Middleton does return to the lineup here in maybe a few weeks, uh, I don't know. What do you expect to see from that starting lineup from Jason Kidd?
0: Well, if you remember, Jason told me that the minutes limit was 48. Frank, so he was <laughs> he was well under his minutes limit. Um, but no, I I don't think we're going to see Middleton full bore quite yet. I think it's going to be maybe a couple more weeks until we see that. Uh, tonight, he mentioned that his his legs just aren't there yet. That he's he is trying to work back into that game shape and ironically enough it he might be the one guy that really was somewhat hurt by the all-star break because he was kind of working into form and working back into shape and then all of a sudden you take six seven what seven days six days off um and then well you you don't get that game shape, um, so I, I think he's still working back, and will be in place of Jabari. I, I think there's at least some thought about that because I don't know why else we would have seen so many Snell and Middleton minutes thus far. Um, in the four games that he's played, there has been plenty of Snell and Middleton sharing the floor. So um, I do, I do definitely think part of that is experimental um, to see if this could be how they go maybe the rest of the season once Middleton gets in the starting lineup. And then if that's the way they go next season. And, um, I I mean, I think there's some things to like about that. Um, because that way maybe you can, uh, get Giannis maybe at a little bit bigger position, maybe more of a four role. Um, so I would not be shocked if Middleton is in the starting lineup in Jabari's spot.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, once he's sort of healthy ready for 30 plus minutes that and to me the most obvious lineup would be uh you know delhi still sort of as the role-playing starter not not necessarily because i think he's better than brogdon i don't but um just because i think he's easier to hide in the starting lineup but you know delhi snell middleton Giannis, uh and and Thon appeals to me because you know then you're kind of getting maximum spacing uh around Giannis. Uh, with Thon at center and and obviously with with Chris Antoni both uh, in the game on the wings. So um, and I you know I I think we've seen Giannis you know defensively is mostly played as a as a power forward anyway. So it's there's, there's not really any any difference there um, versus when Jabari was was healthy. So uh, so yeah, I think that makes sense. I I don't know. I mean, starting Beasley here um, again. I mean we've talked about. We've talked about us being um you know i don't even want to say mirza island like we've got like a little <laughs> chain of islands that we're, we're inhabiting for, for mirza um maybe not a well-populated chain of islands
0: i don't know mirza, every but. the last couple of days i've tweeted about mirza and there's been quite a bit of support um okay. so, so maybe
1: it is an archipelago is maybe that, is that maybe okay. it so certainly the, might the, be the teletovic Tol- archipelago um, is is doing okay <laughs> and uh, i mean i you know again from a maximum spacing standpoint I don't know I kind of like the idea of, of putting putting Mirza in the starting 5 with with Giannis but again Beasley sort of also provides value cuz you know again he can kind of create shots when things are bogging down so yeah. anyway I think um, I do think it's interesting I I would certainly not endorse playing Middleton Beasley and Giannis together in the starting 5 I just feel you got you got to break those guys up because yes you know all of them can go get you some buckets and make plays so, um, next up, uh, Troy Luangan Lungen.
0: It's Lungen. I
1: feel like everybody who it's tweets Lundin. at us, Lungen. Yep. I feel like, I feel like everybody who tweets at us has like not totally difficult names, but just their names that I just can't figure out how to pronounce. <laughs> so I apologize. Uh, Troy says, uh, do you think the Bucks signed Garnett to a coaching staff spot? No, I don't think so. I don't think Kevin Garnett wants to be a full-time assistant. That's my guess. As I was
0: gonna say, I think that's the big thing is... I think that he has a, a strong enough relationship with Kid and with Jet that maybe he would, or I, I guess maybe he'd go for a full-time coaching spot with Doc first, but I think KG very much enjoys what he's doing right now where he gets to be a consultant, I guess is what they say his role is for, I don't even know what, it's the Bucks, it's the Clippers, is there another team that he's doing it for maybe it's only those two um but i think he enjoys getting to come in be all about basketball for those 24 48 hours um and be all about those players and kind of what's going on in that specific city and then going back and doing other stuff going and doing area 21 on tnt which is fantastic um going and doing all this, like, just kind of having that freedom. I, I think he enjoys that. I don't think he would want to lock himself into a, any sort of an assistant coach role.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I just think, you know, again...
0: It's a pretty sweet I, life. I,
1: yeah, I mean, he's got a good life. He has so much money. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: you know, like, he doesn't need to, like, you know, you're not going to see Kevin Garnett uh, uh, grinding, you know, the weekend baseball card show scene because he needs, you know, autograph money or something like that. You know, I mean, he's, he's got so much money. Money and he's got so much flexibility from what he wants to do with his life now. And granted, I know he lived in Minnesota for a fair bit, so cold weather doesn't necessarily scare him. He's, you know, uh, went to high school in Chicago, um, but again, does he want to sign up to be an assistant coach for the Bucks? I mean, you know, why? Why? You know, what? What is? <laughs> I was, was going to say, why pay for the cow and you can have the milk for free? Uh, that's that's I think a horrible a horrible uh, saying for this thing, but you know what's the point? I mean, why, yeah. why even bother being yeah. the, being, being a full-time assistant, you know, unless he has some ambition to be a full-time head coach or you know, obviously a full-time head coach, but to be a head coach someday. And I don't know, it just doesn't really seem like KG's thing. So, um, so no, I, I don't think that's either uh, going to happen. Um, here's an interesting question. Paul Benson asked, with salaries increasing, would it be smart to trade late first rounders for multiple seconds for more cost controlled players? Um, and this is an interesting question. I, I think we've talked a fair bit about you know, the rising uh, cost of players in general um, making picks and, and young cost-controlled players is just generally more valuable. Um, we haven't necessarily talked much about the difference between first and second round picks. Um, I think one, one thing to note, uh, we have at times seen teams in the back half of the first round are oftentimes, you know, tend to be good teams, obviously, um, and oftentimes have sort of, you know, compressed salary structures. And because uh, first round picks count against the salary cap even before they've signed, so they have a cap hold even before they sign, um, whereas second round picks have no cap hold before they sign. So I, I think we have seen some examples. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I know there have been examples where teams that are really cognizant of, you know, having. Uh, a, a modest first round pick cap hole at the at the back end of the first round we'll say you know hey, we'd rather trade back or we'd rather just trade out of the, the back of the first round entirely so we don't have that on our cap
0: what did the thunder do with Houston I'm trying to think
1: uh well he he still would have kind of I think I think if um oh god I I I know what you're talking about I mean it, the, the rule is cap holds go away if guys like agree to play like not play in the NBA this is what this is what happens with guys playing in europe so if a guy's playing in europe like his cap hold you know if it's like understood that he's that he's playing in europe and then he's not going to come over um you know his cap hold won't just perpetually bog down a team's cap space i don't know if he used this given that he went to the d league which you know was a bizarre situation uh i'm not sure how that was handled to be honest so you've set me up to not have an answer Eric, I apologize.
0: No, that's my bad. I'm just happy you didn't decide to lie to the people and then correct yourself tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, we're just going to make the the trade deadline night podcast all about my my fixing my errors.
0: No,
1: um, <laughs> so, but I, I I mean the, the basic the basic trade off is you know uh, player second round picks the Bucks always sign these guys three year deals because then they're still restricted for agents after the three years with a first round pick it's a four year you know. Basically you can get guys for four years and then have them be restricted. So that that's kind of, you know, if you think about the trade-offs between first and second round picks, other than the fact that second round picks are obviously later in the draft, so that's generally less appealing. Um, the probably difference, so the cap hold difference that I just mentioned, which, you know, isn't necessarily a, a huge deal, um, you know, to give you guys a, a sense of it, I think the, uh, the rookie salary scale um, for the first year of the 30th pick in this year's draft is about a million bucks so it's not exactly a big cap hold Um, but and you also see guys uh signing in 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 the end of the start of the second round they're signing for basically the same type of type of money so you know they're not they're not signing for for next to nothing and the rookie uh, minimum is actually going up from i think a little under 600,000 to over 800,000 next year as part of the new cba so it's going up a little bit um as well but I don't think it's a major driver, um, but I do think obviously uh, if you're looking to, to contain your cost in, in the modern NBA, you know having those types of, uh, of of draft picks, whether it's first or second rounders, is valuable. And with the two way contracts starting, so you know effectively teams can carry two extra players in their roster if they're assigned to their D league team. Um, I think you're going to see probably more teams be open to um, you know carrying guys that that might not otherwise make their roster. Um, seeing if they can get them in the D League, um, you know, undrafted players, things like that. But but trying to get those guys hooked up with with the D League team as well.
0: I'm not going to answer that question because I'm not going to answer it better than you just did. Um. <laughs>
1: uh, well, we'll see tomorrow when I have to correct a bunch of stuff. <laughs>
0: um, but no, um, I I do think I, I think it's interesting to look at those type of things. Um, and see where, where maybe that next loophole is, or that next idea where you can maybe cut corners or maybe find uh, something else. That's something I've never, uh, that, cro- that, that idea has never crossed my mind. So shout out to Paul for thinking about that and bringing it up because uh, I, I certainly didn't have it in my mind.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, the, the broader question, you know, and this is obviously a, a major factor when uh, the Bucks opted to sell off the pick that was used for Patrick McCaw, um, you know, a lot of people obviously were, were not thrilled with that because, you know, again, you're just basically giving away, you know, for money, which fans don't really get any benefit of, um, you know, a potential young player who could be good. And Patrick McCaw has been pretty solid for, for the Golden State Warriors and probably a lot better than Rashad Vaughn has looked, his former UNLV teammate. Um, and... So it, it'll be interesting. I think one thing John Hammond did mention um, last week, I guess, on uh, Sparky's Bucks Weekly show on 1250 was that, um, you know, he asked about uh, about picks. And I think there was a question about the D-League team. And, you know, John Hammond said that they would probably be more likely to, to keep second-round picks because they have a place to put them, basically, mm-hmm. uh, with the D-League team. So that's kind of an interesting thing. So, you know, this year the Bucks do not have an extra second-round pick, so um, maybe not a factor this year. But, but again, it is interesting um, with this Bucks roster and the amount of youth it has, and you've got two more picks, obviously, in this upcoming, upcoming draft. And, you know, again, uh, what kind of roster are you trying to construct uh, moving forward? And are you trying to get a bit older? Or are you trying to, you know, maintain, obviously, um, uh, a bunch of young guys as well? Um i don't know it'll be interesting to see kind of how the bucks make those trade-offs
0: all right frank i think we've done it yes
1: we've done it thanks for everybody's questions um we got to i think most of them um and obviously we took a long time so i appreciate everyone's patience and um i guess we'll see as of as of right now it's uh 11 central time on wednesday night uh I, I i don't yet see any big trades involving the bucks so um we will see what Thursday brings.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I guess the good thing is we just did a mailbag and I don't know how many of those questions could be rendered uh, obsolete or useless. Um, Maybe some of them early in the day, but uh, are early in the podcast, but I think most of them should be good. So hopefully uh, you guys stuck through all 50 minutes of this and hung out with us. And as always, we very much appreciate you guys actually having questions. It's, it's nice for us to kind of send out the tweet signal and to get a a whole lot of questions from all of you guys. So um, that's awesome. We are always blown away by how many listeners we have and how much support we have from all of you. So um, we very much appreciate that you are trying to make us part of, I guess maybe... Your, your daily uh work routine or maybe your your daily drive into work or back from work or whatever it may be so uh we very much appreciate you and you guys should know that so thank you for listening this has been locked on bucks that was frank Mann. i'm eric name and we will talk to you after the bucks make all the trades